give you a minute to read all that. I can see your faces and, and several of you are trying to figure out what all that says in the background there. And let me help you out. But first, let me ask you this question. Is anybody familiar with this, this expression TLDNR? What does it mean? Too long, didn't read. Too long, didn't read. Well, I do have it up there. so <laughs> That's right. Yeah, too long. It means too long, did not read. And, and this little expression, TLDNR, has become increasingly popular with the younger generation in response to emails and, and Facebook posts and forwarded messages. If that's just too wordy, they just won't read it. They'll respond back. Too long, didn't read. To me, that's the equivalent of like covering your ears, right, or closing your eyes or just plain telling someone you aren't interested in what they say. But uh, of course, it doesn't have to be in response to a personal message. Sometimes, you know, you'll see a lengthy news article and you want to get to the, the meat of it and you're just scrolling through and it's just so, so long, you know, you want to get to it or, or an important piece of information. It's just, it's just too much to read. For example, I, I see a few of you still trying to read that thing. How many people, how many people had an iPhone, have an iPhone? iWatch, Apple Watch, iPad, anything like that, anything like that? Use the Apple iTunes store for anything? I see some hands. To those of you that raised your hand, you may recognize this slide now. It's the end user license agreement that you signed and agreed to. Okay, so if you have or use any of that stuff, you, you said you read all that and signed off on it. <laughs> it's 7,220 words, and although you agreed to them and illegally contractually bound to them, I would bet that no one actually read them all. And uh, don't worry, I didn't either. It was too long, so I did not read it. But the title of this morning's message might be making a little more sense now. You know, the Bible, is it, is it too long? Is it, do we not read it because it's too much? Well, last week as a part of the message series about creation, we talked about the institutes created and ordained by God. And these were family, government, and church. And you know that God has a plan for every part of your life. And you may even assume that God had something to say about every part of your life. But had you read the specific words he used to reveal all of this to you? And you don't have to answer that because I, it had been a long time before I sat there and go, really, God has something to say about government? I knew God has an, an, has an idea and a, a, an explanation for my role as a father and a husband and as a son. But, you know, all that is, is written in the Bible as, as are so many things, government and church and, and the church was established in the Bible and there's... There are clear things written in there about how a church is and, and should be, and, and that's the interpretation of that that usually makes the differences between churches. But God has specific instructions in his word. But I'm going to flash back a couple, a, a long year, a bunch of years. When I was in high school, I had to read several classic novels for various classes of Mice and Men, The Scarlet Letter, Taming of the Shrew, just to name a few. And and I wasn't a big reader, and I'm still not. I don't read for enjoyment. Um, I read for education, and I could read a college textbook like many of you would sit and read a novel. I would just really thoroughly enjoy reading all that stuff. Um, so to help me, to help me with my required readings back in my literature class days, I got the help of a man by the name of Clifton Hillegas. Anybody ever heard of Clifton Hillegas? He created this wonderful thing, which is? Cliff Notes, that's right. Um, flip that slide, and just in case anybody's never seen one of these things. Maybe you'll recognize these yellow and black zebra-striped things off the, the rack from the bookstore, right? Anybody else a fan of these things? Get you through school? The, the smart teachers told you, don't use them. Because don't, don't use things that are not That's right, and that's where I'm going. But I'm still going to say it because I have a lot of material to cover. <laughs> but according to the publisher, they describe Cliff Notes this way. These are guides 
They're used to present and create literary and other works in pamphlet form or online. And it says detractors of the study guides claim they let students bypass reading the assigned literature. No, we would never read that instead of. <laughs> the company claims that these promote the reading of the original work and does not view the study guides as a substitute for reading, right? Now, this is church, so I'm going to make a confession. There were times that I bypassed the reading assignment and solely relied on this beautiful yellow and black booklet. And they do a pretty good job of expressing general concepts of the original book. They include a lot of facts and excerpts and, and even some of the prominent quotes. But they could not replace the 31,465 words of classic American literature with a pamphlet. And let me tell you, my high school English teachers were very keen to make that point, which is what you were saying, Mark. It's as if they had a book titled How to Bust and Embarrass a Cliff's Book Reader. A Cliff's Book Reader, right? <laughs> So understanding the book was more than knowing the names of the main characters, right? And a few quips and phrases. But when you had to stand in front of the class and answer a simple question like, how did you relate to so-and-so and why? You know, well, that wasn't in the yellow book. <laughs> well, let's just say the English literature wasn't the lesson I learned that day. And I'm sure glad that, that I wasn't the kid that got called on, although I came close. But as if to add insult to injury, the Note version was always more expensive than the book. You ever notice that? It is, and, and you're supposed to read um, the book in the first place. Now, if you do it right, you're spending two pieces of money, but most people just did that. So there's a life lesson in that. Go ahead and flip back to our other slide. So we have an assigned reading lesson given to us by a great teacher. It's a classic book, timeless nonfiction, consistently a bestseller. In fact, a, a majority of people own this book, and I wonder how often it's read, like read, read. Now, the NIV translation has almost 728,000 words. That's a lot of material, which includes over 8,800 promises between God and others. Okay? That's why we sing that song, Standing on the Promises. And of those, about 7,500 of them are promises between God and mankind, a promise made from God directly to you in writing, in this non-fallible, infallible, shall-not-be-broken book, Right? So we're going to take the next three and a half hours and list them all real quick. <laughs> I'm joking, and you're welcome. <laughs> God doesn't break his promises, and let's be sure to thank him for that, okay? Be thankful for that, that he doesn't. We sometimes, without meaning, break our promises, don't we? Right? We don't keep our word. We, we make a commitment to do something. We would promise to return a favor. We intend to. We don't intend to break our promise. We forget, or we lose interest, or we change our minds. Right? We, we call that being human. But God doesn't work that way. His word is a covenant promise, unbroken, unchanging. And read about them. And you can be genuinely thankful that you can claim those. Right? You can recognize them. Ask them to help you recognize those promises. Because once you read them, you know what you're looking for in this world. This day is beautiful. Well, God promised it. I have breath in my lungs. He promised that he was not going to destroy his creation ever again. Promises. That one goes all the way back to the first book in the Bible. And these promises are filled one by one over and over again throughout your life. 7,500 of them you probably don't even think of or realize or recognize. Did you know there's a Cliff's Note version of the Bible? I mean, it sounds... I hope I never see it on anybody's shelves, okay? I'm glad you're reading, but let's see. Um, I am I'm certain that any discomfort I felt being called out by a high school teacher for not reading and fully understanding the assignment would pale in comparison to that moment when I have to stand before God and give an account for my life 
which should include what I read and what I understood and how I applied it, right? Which character in my story did you identify with and why, you know? There is, however, an online overview of the Bible that gives very short summaries. And I, when I was looking to see if there's a, a Note version of the Bible, I found this, and I'm not even going to tell you what it is because I, I just, it's just bad. <laughs> but let me give you a few examples of what it says about the letters of the Apostle Paul. Now, we love the Apostle Paul. He gives wisdom, and we, we quote his scripture a lot from several of these books. But these are literally the entries in this overview of the Bible. The book of Romans. Paul summarizes how the gospel of Jesus works in a letter to the church of Rome where he plans to visit. Do you know how many times we quote the book of Romans? You know what you're missing if you just know that Paul talks about the works of Jesus and then he goes to Rome. How about 1 Corinthians? Paul writes a disciplinary letter to a fractured church in Corinth and answers some questions that they've had about how Christians should behave. Now, don't you want to know how Christians should behave, not just that he wrote about it? Right? And, and, and from Corinthians, right, we get some of the verses we use in our weddings. I'm surprised that doesn't say there. Stuff for weddings, you know? Galatians, this is huge on freedom as a Christian. It says, Paul hears that the Galatian church have been led to think that salvation comes from the law of Moses and writes a heated letter to them where their teachers have been wrong. Boy, you're missing on the good stuff. I, I can't, you know, it, and it goes on and on. And if that's all you read, then how could you possibly understand the story? or be able to hear the real message intended for you? How could you possibly answer the question, which character do I identify with and why? And how possibly could I apply any of this stuff? I'm not gonna give you the close note version of the Bible, but I am gonna take the next few minutes to remind you that the book in front of you in the pew, the book on your shelf, the app on your phone deserves more attention than what it's getting, okay? You should read the Bible because it contains God's will for your life. Right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. God has a purpose for everything in creation, including you. 2 Timothy 3.16, okay, you know, according to the Note version, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy. But let me tell you what it says here. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Okay? This book will tell you the core things you need to know to live a godly life. Now, there's some specifics you're going to have to ask him about. That's where prayer comes in. But he's put it in writing here. The Bible's nourishment for your soul, Matthew 4.4. 4. Jesus answered when he was being tempted by Satan. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, what I love about that, Jesus, he said his own things, but often he quoted his father's words. That was, man shall not live on bread alone, was a promise in Deuteronomy 8.3, okay? When, when you know, they were, they were hungry for food and, and they were, you know, they were saying, we need, we need, we need. And God said, you need more than food. Okay, you need nourishment for your soul. And Jesus quotes this in the face of Satan's temptation. He says, man must live on more than bread alone. The Bible nourishes the soul. In John 6, 63, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and the life. Reading the Bible helps us get some discernment, right? Who, who couldn't use some better advice and some discernment? Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active. The book, alive and active, it's still relevant. Sharper than a double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You want to know if something is of God? Hold it up against this book and see if it doesn't jive. And if, it, if it's contrary to this, then you know it's not him who's talking to you. 
Jeremiah 23:29. It's it's not is not my word like fire declares the Lord and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. God's word is a weapon. It instructs us in what is righteous, right? We all desire to be righteous. We've heard that expression self-righteous like, you know, it's it's really not a positive thing because righteousness is achieved through a relationship with Jesus Christ. No matter what you do, you cannot be perfect. You cannot be flawless and sinless. Do your best. Do your best. But that gap, that's where Jesus comes in. He makes you righteous, right? Psalm 119.9, how can a young man stay on the path of purity by living according to your word, God? And of course, we know this, there's power to comfort and overcome. James 1, 2, 3, and I like to tack on verse 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sister, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It goes on, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Matthew 4, 1, 11. Then Jesus led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And this is when Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and him stand on the highest point of the temple. He says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Right? And then Satan says this, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan probably knows scripture better than you do. He's a fallen angel. Jesus answered him, it is also written, he's quoting God's word, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Jesus has great power and that power came from the word. He fought every temptation, every attack with that Bible. And when he took that word and he said, you leave me alone, Satan had no choice but to leave him alone. And you have that same power because you have that same weapon. If that is a, a physical obtrusion in your life, is it something in your mind, emotional or whatever, you have that same power to stay away from me, Satan. I am his, not yours. And I alluded to this. The Bible is full of promises. Claim some of these. Revelation 2.7, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's you. To the one who is victorious will give right to eat from the tree of life, which in the paradise, is in the paradise of God. Now, this is that tree of life that got us in trouble in the first place. God says, I just set it aside for you. Hear my words, do my commanding, and it's yours. It's up here, keeping it for you. And lastly, but not certainly not the... Uh, the last of this list, but just the last of what I'm going to share. Again, from 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. I said, all scriptures God breathed. But if the last part says, so that the servant of God, and that is us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word equips you to do work. It equips you to be comforted and equips you to get through the tough times. Ephesians six seventeen, that letter from Paul, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Listen to this, listen, it should not be new to you. Put on the full armor of God, equip yourself so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You have that spiritual armor about you when you put it on. This goes way back to one of the first messages I shared, you know. I said, take courage, right? Don't be brave. Don't be courageous. Take it. You have everything you need. It's like a coat sitting on the front row when you're about to go out in the rain. Take it and use it. Be equipped. Be armed. Be armored. These are just some of the things that you're denying yourself if you aren't reading God's word and really in depth because you think you're too busy or bored or, or can't understand it or irrelevant or, or it's just too long and it's a lot to read. But friend, reading the Bible reveals God's character which helps us understand who he is so that we can imitate him and reflect him in Jesus Christ. The Bible gives us, gives us as we take the next step and tells us what to do. It gives us guidance. Why wouldn't we want to know what it says? You know, there are several amazing tools to help us with God's word. And, and I love the daily devotions. I get a, a verse of the day, too. And I love, if nothing else, I'm going to pause when I get it and read it. That's my commitment. I'm going to at least read that much every day. I'm not going to rely on that solely as my Bible reading, but to have that reminder that comes through. Go ahead and push the next slide. There were several amazing tools, and I shared, I shared this on our, our Wednesday night Bible study a couple weeks ago, and we use it as a discussion tool. Tools like this, shorts, devotions, versions, uh, verses of the day, even the scripture, remember, and my messages on Sunday morning are all tools, you know, or how did the, the Cliff Notes writer put it? He said, uh, these are tools that you help you understand what you should already be reading, right? It's not a substitute. Okay, I love these, and these are fantastic, great conversation starters. 60-second gospel, it goes through a handful of points, and on the right is, is the verse. If you want these, I'll send it to you, and I think there's actually one on the bolt and the board in the back still. And God's plan for me, again, it's, you know, what, five bullet points in the scripture to go with it. These are wonderful reminders and thought starters and conversation going, you know, hey, what, do you, what does the Bible say? Well, in 60 seconds, I can explain some really good stuff and give you the ammunition that goes behind it. But it does not replace knowing and reading and understanding the word. So my challenge to you this week is that you set aside some quality time to, to read the written word of God. And then take a moment to think about it. What does this mean to me? What's it saying to me? Don't overwhelm yourself by sitting down and reading it cover to cover immediately. And certainly the, uh, probably the quickest way to get discouraged is to start at the beginning and try to push all the way through it. I mean, that's a, that's a lot to read. I mean, there's 66 books in this thing. All right. But everything in the covers is important. It's all relevant and, and it's worthy of your time and attention. But let's start with the first step. Pick a book of the Bible and read it in its entirety. For example, the book of Luke is an easy read. I love how Luke writes. That, he, he's, he writes in my style. And it tells the story of Jesus' life and teachings from Luke's firsthand perspective. And it's 24 short chapters. It's less than 
a third of the length of the other books you probably read, okay? And what's neat about that is, is, is you read it, you're like, oh, that's where it says that. Oh, that's where that verse is. You know, Luke is chock full of the Jesus story, and I love it. But if you don't know where to start, let me hear from you. Again, it, it's all important and worth reading, but let's chat about what you need to hear from God in this season of your life, and let's make your reading plan based on that. I'm dealing with this particular struggle. Let's start reading here, okay? Life's great. I feel like I'm on top of things. Let's start reading here, and I won't, I won't steal your thunder. I mean, I won't, I won't go, life's not that great. I'm going to tell you some stories about why life is great. You know, this church is based on God's word and, and what we teach, the way we view the world and the way we treat each other and all of God's beloved creation is dictated by scripture. When we give to those in need, it's an act of obedience. Even if we don't say God told me to do it, it's an act of obedience to how he tells us to live. So let's be sure that we know what it is that we're doing here as a church, as a body of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, you've given us a big assignment, but you've given us a wonderful one. You said, I'm going to give you all that you need for this world, and I'm going to put it together in a book written a long time ago by several authors in several different languages, but I have given the gift of translation and, and compilation so that you can go and pick up this book off your shelf out of the back of the pew look up an app on the phone and, and read God's word in it. Lord, let us be motivated, inspired by what we hear in church and the verses to remember and the, and the, the devotions and, and all of those things, but let them serve as an appetizer for the real nourishment, which is your word in its entirety. Let us never grow tired or, or weary or so complacent that we can't Look at your, that we don't look at your book as if it's too long and, and we don't want to read it. God, place on our hearts what you'd have us do this week in, in obedience with this. Father God, I always want to thank you for this church, this congregation, this community, what it means to me and my family, what it means to everybody that I talk to, this place of refuge, this place of empowerment, this, just, this place of security and safety where we can come together and encourage each other with love and spur each other on in good works, as your word says to do, as we go about this earth. Father, as we leave this place, may we be changed in our perspective and all that we've heard this morning. May we seek out opportunities to recognize and thank you for your promises. May we seek out opportunities to find a quiet place and quiet time to dive into your word. May we always seek out those need a relationship with you and help to make that connection. God, I thank you for all you do here, all you've done for us. May all we do this morning bless you and be pleasing to you. Amen.